These are Nebraska corn farmers. They work in acres, not hours, harvesting the energy and climate solutions the world needs. We are proud to stand with you. The success of tomorrow's soy industry depends on the actions we take today. The future is here, and the time to move is now. Market Journal, television for agricultural business decisions, is a presentation of the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources. Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Partial funding is provided by the Nebraska Soybean Board and the Nebraska Corn Board. Hi everyone, I'm Bryce Duskit and thank you so much for joining us today on Market Journal. The days are getting shorter, the temperature, it's dropping, and we did officially flip the calendar this week to the month of November. As we check in now on harvest progress, according to data from the U.S. Department of Agriculture, corn harvest here in the Cornhusker State is now sitting at 80% complete. Meanwhile, soybean harvest is in the home stretch with less than 10% of that crop still out in the fields. For our viewers in the panhandle part of Nebraska, dry edible bean harvest is also nearing complete. USDA said on Monday that they estimated that crop to be 97% harvested. We've got lots to get to on today's broadcast, and that includes an update from the big National FFA Convention. That's underway this week in Indianapolis. We'll get to more on that coming up here in a moment. But first, let's return to Harvest Progress for our In the Field update. This week, we visited with Clark McFeeders, who's farming near Gothenburg, Nebraska. Clark, tell me a little about the family farming operation. Sure, I farm with my dad and my brother and we operate on uh, white and yellow corn and soybeans and alfalfa. Uh, generally our corn's food grade. So we have, have kind of a specific set of requirements for that. Yeah, I'd like to dive in there a little bit more if we can in a second, but tell me about harvest progress, where you sit today. Sure, uh, we're a little over half done with corn, uh, finished all our beans before we moved into corn. And uh, it's been, Kind of a little maybe higher than average grain moisture, uh, which slows us down a little bit. Uh, right now we're uh, stacked up behind the grain dryer, and uh, guess everyone will get a little get a little bit of time to uh, spend some time trick or treating with their families at least. We got that a little bit early. There we go. That's that's a good reason to take a little pause too. That doesn't hurt at all. Uh, Gothenburg, Nebraska. You guys got quite a bit of irrigation. I have to imagine the acres that you're covering for your crops, right? Yep, basically 100% irrigated. Uh, would be a tough uh, go most years to uh, raise a good crop without irrigation. So we're blessed to have good water here. Food grade corn, that's not something we've talked about this year on our in the field updates. Tell me a little bit about that. Do you guys have a, a plant there near Gothenburg? I understand you can take that too, right? Yep, that's correct. Uh, we have Frito-Lay here in, uh, right in Gothenburg. And uh, so we grow uh, white and yellow corn. Uh, so all the Fritos, Doritos, et cetera. Um, that's what our uh, corn goes into. Wet corn, that's the, your challenge as we sit here going into the month of November. What's going on? What's the story there, Clark? Well, uh, we probably planted a little bit later on corn than average. Uh, we actually were rained out for 12 days in the middle of corn planting. So uh, that always uh, 
push its harvest back a little bit. And uh, even just kind of weather conditions, it seems like uh, toward the end were more conducive to not having a lot of really fast uh, dry days. Well, let's look back kind of a little bit uh, on the harvest and growing season altogether. As you look back on the year, I guess, how are you going to remember 2023? Well, I think probably uh, I would say a wet start, uh, certainly during planting and then a dry finish. And um, I guess fortunate to have irrigation in order to uh, supplement the demands of the crop that weren't being met by rainfall uh, during the, the important stages during grain fill. Well, Clark, thanks so much for joining us. We sure appreciate it. Up next on the show, it was a big week for the blue and gold. I mentioned that at the top of the show, nearly 70,000 FFA members traveled to Indianapolis, Indiana for the 96th National FFA Convention. This year, 35 students went through the rigorous process of applying to become one of the six National FFA officers. Just before she left for Indy, I had the chance to sit down with Nebraska FFA's candidate, that is Libby Wilkins. We began our conversation by going back over her background when it comes to agriculture and how it led to her involvement within the FFA. This is Libby, great to have you here. Tell us about your agriculture background leading you into the National FFA organization. Yeah, I grew up um, in Ainsworth, Nebraska, a rural community, so was able to see agriculture from a young age. Uh, my family owns and operates a grain elevator just outside of Ainsworth, and we also do a little bit of farming and ranching, so was able to see a wide variety of agriculture from a really young age and have been just able to grow in that ag knowledge through my involvement in FFA as well. So you're involved obviously on the chapter level, went on to serve as a Nebraska FFA state officer. Was it during that year that made you think, hey, I want to continue doing this at the national level? Yeah, it really, I would say it was at national convention when I was a state officer and I was looking up on stage and those were the national officers that I'd had the opportunity to actually interact with. And at that point I was thinking, boy, that would be cool. That would be really cool, a really cool thing to do. And um, then just throughout the year, it morphed and I realized that I really love doing the things that a, that a state officer does that a national officer would also do. I love facilitating, I love teaching, I love connecting with people. And so, uh, yeah, I would say it was at that national convention that I really, that was when it first clicked that this would be really cool. So there are six national FFA officers that represent all of the, the membership and they do a lot of traveling, I hear. But tell me about some of the details. What is the role of a national FFA officer? At a very broad level, it is to support FFA members, 950,000 FFA members throughout the United States. And that comes in a lot of different forms. It's through teaching workshops. It's through having conversations with them in the hallways at their state conventions. It's all of those very logistical things that a national officer has the opportunity to do, but very high level, it's, it's just about supporting FFA members, state officers, chapter officers, chapter members. I have to imagine this has been a, a grueling process leading up to, like I said, that week uh, long process of applying to be a national officer. Talk about some of the prep work uh, in the state. Mm -hmm. I've had some great advisors and people who have just come alongside me and some uh, supported me. I was named the Nebraska National Office candidate in May. And really from then on, it was, it was prepping. have just been so blessed. Uh, I've, I've looked around at multiple points during this process and just thought, 
boy, this is really cool that I get to be in this room with this person who is so wise and knows so much about agriculture. So it has been a grueling process, but all the while it's just been so, so surreal and so cool. Now midweek, we did get some exciting news about Libby. The committee narrowed the pool from 35 to 21 candidates after some initial interviews. Libby did make that cut. The candidates will now find out who makes the team on Saturday afternoon, and we send our best of luck out to Libby. Up next, chilly temperatures have arrived, and while frosted flakes, they make for a good snack, frosted forages, not so much. They can pose a pretty big danger to livestock that might be grazing on them. Market Journal's Bill Dodd brings us this story. The fall season is here, and so is the frost. At these temperatures, some plants and forages may begin to build up with prussic acid. It would be prudent for producers who are grazing cattle to take a few management steps this time of year to ensure the safety of their herd. Um, prussic acid is a cyanide compound um, that's formed net just naturally by species in the sorghum family. So, um, you know, grain sorghum, um, sorghum sedan grass hybrids, forage sorghums, um, sedan grass itself, and then um, even Johnson grass. And we have to really watch out for that this time of year because whenever, again, those cell walls rupture, something damages those cells, like a frost or a hard freeze, um, that's when we have the greatest risk because a lot of this prussic acid is being released at one time. And so the safest thing that we can do when we're utilizing some of these species is, is A, make sure we know what we have, and then just pull animals off, um, you know, for, for five to seven days. Um, that cyanide compound turns into a gas, it kind of dissipates off. And then um, after that time period, we can put animals back on. So that's the, the prussic acid side of things. And, and prussic acid only really impacts us from a grazing perspective because um, again, that gas can dissipate out. If we're harvesting for hay or we're ensiling it or you know, um, basically anything where we're going to be waiting a while before feeding it, um, we're okay you know, from a prussic acid standpoint, time's kind of our, our friend. During these periods of intermittent frost, nitrate poisoning is another concern producers should be vigilant of. However, feeds that may contain high levels of nitrate aren't necessarily unusable as long as proper action is taken to minimize risks. Now, nitrate is different from prussic acid in the standpoint that it's, um, time doesn't matter. Uh, it's gonna, you know, once it's in that forage, if that plant's no longer growing, it's not going anywhere. And so we have to keep that in mind if we harvest it or, you know, especially for hay, once we harvest that, it's locked in. It's not going to go anywhere. Um, so if we're, if we're working them from a, we're looking at it from a grazing standpoint, um, you know, we can work animals up to a high nitrate diet, help to get that rumen acclimated to it a little bit more. There still is a limit that um, we, you know, have to be aware of. Um, another option that we can do is ensiling things. That process, that fermentation process, when we put things into a silage pile, actually uses up some of the nitrate. Um, so some of the studies show that it can use up to 50-60% of the nitrate um, in a forage if we ensile it. And so if we have some concerns, we think we have high nitrate. And then the final thing to remember with nitrates is just because it's high in nitrate doesn't mean that it's not usable. Um, because what's really important is the total nitrates in that entire diet that that animal's eating. One final issue to keep a close eye on during periods of early frost is bloat. This occurs when frost damages the plant, causing cell walls within the plant to rupture and make proteins and minerals more readily available for about two days' time. 
Um, bloat happens when we've got too much digestibility a lot of times um, in that rumen and we start to develop, you know, a, a frothiness that that rumen, you know, too much gas production that that animal can't get rid of. And all of those nutrients, especially in higher quality things, um, you know, maybe like an alfalfa field or some really young, maybe we planted a stand of small grains or something like that. And they're just coming into a vegetative state and they get frosted and they're really high quality stuff. All of those nutrients are available all at once. And so oh, if those animals are ingesting them, at, you know, with all that moisture, and that's the other um, key factor, if we allow those things to wilt, um, we don't have as much moisture that decreases the digestibility a little bit, slows that rate of passage. Um, and so we can be okay. But if they're just frosted, they're really fresh, they're really green, all of those nutrients are available then we run into issues. The rumen can't handle that, and we can run into some bloat issues too. While there is reason for concern with your cattle grazing this time of year, by following these management practices, you should avoid any health risks to your herd. Reporting for Market Journal, I'm Bill Dodd. Thanks for that information, Bill. If you're interested in learning more from Ben on this topic, you can check out his latest article that is published over at Beef on beef.unl.edu. Up next, let's turn our attention over to the markets. Joining us this week is Kyle Bumstead. Here's our conversation. We're going to talk about the grain markets first, then transition to livestock. It wasn't long ago, December corn crossed the $5 mark. There was some optimism we could go higher at that point, but that is not what we've seen. Corn market, what happened, Kyle? Well, that's exactly what happened. We went to the very top end of the range. We hit a bunch of buy stops and boom, we turned and went lower. There just wasn't enough buying here to sustain it here. It's kind of the wrong time of the year to get a sustained rally of, of any real meaning. So uh, what it was was a classic head fake. And here we were a couple sessions later, about 30, 35 cents off those highs. Um, I still think there's a little bit of hope for the corn market here. Once we pass that 50% harvested, guys get it tucked away in the bin. The basis market's kind of stagnated here, and so have the spreads. So uh, what I don't like to see here is early on in the week, uh, we did cross that Dece July uh, spread. It did go to 30 cents carry, which tells me that uh, commercials and end users are getting a little bit more comfortable here uh, with the size of crop that we have, as well as our demand situation uh, going down the river. We know our river levels have come up just a little bit, but not enough to get a major amount of shipping done. Ethanol still is good, or the ethanol grind is still good. The margins are still there. But uh, as far as the cattle situation goes, I think that uh, less numbers uh, kind of, you know, kind of takes part of that out of the feed residual category here for the end user part. You bring up demand when we're talking about corn, but on transition to soybeans, because it seems like demand is uh, often talked about with soybeans right now. The exports seem to be a concern. Is that something you're watching too on the bean front? Yeah, exports are definitely a concern here. We have seen a few exports here uh, to Mexico. We saw some ex uh, exports to Mexico earlier in the week, but uh, the big mover has been in the meal market. The big headlines here that have been running around uh, the trade have been about uh, Argentina running out of bean meal here. And uh, so I think that some of the uh, the uh, the end users have come to the USA to get the coverage here in the meal market, and that's what's kept the firm bid underneath the soybean complex. All right, well, let's round out our conversation on the grains by bringing up wheat. A lot of our viewers might be happy if you'd be bullish for wheat, but I don't think that's the case this week, is it? Not the case this week, for sure. Uh, new contract lows, uh, bull markets don't make new contract lows. That's a, that's a bear market in wheat. And uh, this kind of started here back in late July, early August, when the uh, CME group started about talking about bringing in VSR, which widens out the amount of carry from month to month in those contracts. And we've just simply got too much wheat or a demand situation. We may not have a, a, a you know, we may not have an abundance of wheat here in the USA, but there's plenty of wheat here in the world. So we're just not uh, on the top of the list here as far as the export market goes there. 
All right, want to use the rest of our time with you, Kyle, uh, talk about the cattle markets in particular. We like to do so every time we have you on Market Journal. Feeder cattle will begin there. Safe to say they've fallen off their highs at this point? Yes, they have. Uh, late last week, we saw some uh, ugly moves here as far as the direct trade, as far as feeder cattle goes. That index on Monday afternoon is quoted down $3.17. And then Tuesday afternoon, it made a small rebound uh, up about $0.70. Cents. But uh, we did see some good sales here early in the week in the north. The Southern Plains are still struggling here. They've had a lot of uh, cold weather, cold rainy weather move through there. And that's really a real, real back to buying down there as well as their numbers. Their numbers are way off early in the week. So that's gonna be tough to uh, get a good feeder cattle market established on the cash side. Plus we're entering into somewhat of a holiday type mode here. We get through the second week of uh, November. There's a lot of uh, the big sales. They just won't have feeder cattle sales here. They might have a special one in December, but most of them are uh, off the books here until after the first of the year. So we're really starting to wind down the feeder cattle sales as far as the big numbers until we get after the first of the year. Live cattle also not looking too pretty in the charts, but not quite as bad as feeder cattle. Your thoughts there? Not quite as bad, but uh, I was a little bit disappointed late last week. We thought we saw a higher cash trade, and I thought last week's cash trade was going to actually end the week higher, but it was actually lower. Uh, we uh, traded quite a few cattle a week ago early in the week at 182 in Kansas and Texas. Even though we traded some 185 and 186 in Kansas and Texas in the Southern Plains here, uh, that still wasn't enough to bring the average up. In the North uh, last week, we traded a lot of 185 to 186, and I thought that we'd uh, trade closer to 188. Now, I still have some hope here for this week. Uh, once we've uh, you know kind of shut the screens off that the cash trade's higher, but from a technical standpoint here, we failed to uh, fill the gap here at 184.42 here in this December live cattle contract. And that's a little bit of a concern to me. Uh, if we could get up there and gap over it, it would look really good, but uh, it just doesn't seem like we've got the buyers yet. I wanna make sure we get a viewer question in here. You're kind of answering it between, but I'll have you answer it directly here, Kyle. The viewer question read something like this. When it comes to the live and feeder cattle, is it safe to say, the highs in both markets are behind us, or perhaps is there a story that could develop that could bring us back up to those prices? Well, there's always a story that could develop to bring us back up to those uh, prices, but from a chart standpoint, it does look like a high has been posted. Uh, a longer term type high has been posted the way it looks on the charts. Now, uh, historically, we do uh, see a cash high being printed here in the live cattle uh, side of things here towards the end of, uh, end of the year. Uh, historically, uh, December does sometimes mark that cash high, most of the time marks that cash high historically. But uh, from a chart standpoint, I think there's enough going on in the world. There's a little bit of uneasiness. We've seen non-commercial liquidation. So it's gonna take a, a really big story because the whole the whole market complex knows we're gonna be short on numbers. We've known that for a year. And with this last cattle and feed report, it just pushed it out another six months. So now I think it was a catalyst here for these funds to take some money off the table. They've been riding this train up for a long time and they're the ones that have been feeding this thing or pushing it higher. So they took some money off the table. It does appear that a longer term high has been put in. Coming up next week, we'll be joined in the studio by Darren Fessler. As always, we welcome your questions here on Market Journal. So if you have one for me to ask Darren, go ahead and email us and I'll pass your question along. How about this story? Two Colfax County teams won first and second place at the Nebraska Youth Crop Scouting Competition. Those two teams went on to place well in the regional contest, which was also held in Nebraska this year. The team spent time working in the field, learning how to scout crops, taking stand counts, and much more. You can learn about that competition in the November issue of the Nebraska Farmer. Let's check in on weather now with Nebraska Extension Ag Climatologist Eric Hunt. Eric, November is, op is obviously here, and that usually means that the colder temperatures are here to stay. Is that what you're looking uh, at as we turn to the week ahead? Well, thanks, Bryce. I think we can safely put away the shorts and T-shirts for the season. Uh, but it doesn't mean we won't have some nicer days to be outside. But just remember to set your clocks back tonight. 
So let's start off this week with uh, taking a look where we had some snow in the pumpkin. This is uh, last Saturday into Sunday morning. So again, we had some four inch totals out here in Dual County and some three to four inch totals up in Knox and Cedar counties with the broad portion state picking up uh, about one to two inches. Uh, probably just mostly nuisance for most folks. And all we had here in Lincoln were a couple of flurries. In terms of precipitation, we did have some heavier precipitation last Wednesday into Thursday. Uh, so big winters were just uh, east of Ord. So Greeley County upwards uh, up two, three inches of rain there. And we did have some four inch rain totals uh, around Norfolk. So again, a couple, two or three different observers there reported some uh, four to four and a half inch rain totals. That also looks, looks like it extended in Pierce County. Uh, filming is a bit early this week, so I'm not showing the latest drought monitor, but again, you probably will see some changes uh, for the good up in this part of the state as we look for the map later this week. Uh, in terms of 60-day precipitation departures, so from the 1st of September through the end of October, uh, again, we've generally been drier than average down here in southeastern Nebraska with a lot of one to three or even some cases four-inch precipitation deficits going back to 1st of September. North of Platte, though, especially in north central northeastern Nebraska, broad two to four, even some cases six to eight inches above average uh, for the last two months. And that's where we really have seen some significant improvement in terms of drought monitor. We also have seen, more importantly, some very nice changes in terms of root zone soil moisture. So again, according to this NASA model, we have actually seen uh, really some positive changes here across a lot of north central and northeastern Nebraska in the last two or three weeks with the heavier rainfall events. Uh, still very dry down here in southeastern Nebraska. Now, this is not an absolute value of moisture. This is basically being that we are very dry for this time of year. More reflection has been a dry fall. Uh, kind of the same thing out here in parts of southwestern Nebraska. We just really haven't picked up as much moisture in the last 30 to 45 days. So in terms of the week ahead, uh, I don't have any major storms uh, in the forecast for you, but we do have some scattered showers that probably will be moving into parts of northern uh, and eastern Nebraska Sunday night into Monday. Uh, the heavy precipitation looks to be well east of us in the Ohio Valley. We have another storm system moving into the central U.S. middle of next week, it looks like. Uh, so there are definitely probably a little stronger chances of rain with this. But we still have a little bit of uncertainty in the model. So again, I'm filming this on Tuesday afternoon. So at this point, this still is quite uncertain in some cases. So the strength of it, right now, this does not look like a major rain or snow producer for anywhere in the state. It just looks like maybe a quarter to half inch of rain for parts of eastern Nebraska. But stay tuned. Things could change a little bit. It looks like we'll have a brief cool down followed by some mild temperatures later next week. So in terms of uh, getting into the more closer to the middle portion of the month, uh, what the CPC is right now currently expecting is a broader ridge to develop across the western United States, which should bring uh, most of the Nebraska into uh, good chances for having above average temperatures. So I think we will we'll be back into some mild air as we head into the middle of November. Um, no real signal either way for precipitation, but there is some signals we might actually start getting some better moisture into our area later in the month. Thanks. Back to you, Bryce. Alrighty, thank you very much for that update, Eric. We appreciate it. Finally today, if you've ever thought about transitioning to organic farming or you're a newly certified organic farmer, Nebraska Extension, they're hosting a conference that might be an interest to you. We sat down earlier this week with Extension educator Katja Cooler Cole to learn more. This is going to be taking place at the Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center. Set this conversation up for us. Who's, who's this conference designed for? Yeah, this conference, as you said, is designed for uh, farmers that are either thinking about becoming uh, organic farmers or are in the transitioning process, so people that are uh, new, relatively new to organic farming. Of course, we invite people that have been um, in organic farming for a long time. I think there's something for everybody to learn here. So when it comes, if you're a conventional farmer today and you're considering transitioning to organic, I'm sure there's a lot of questions that come to mind in this conference, seeking to provide some answers to that. I know you've got a full agenda. Walk us through some of the topic areas to be discussed. Yeah, exactly. So um, 
our uh, our conference focuses a lot on the differences in uh, organic or in, in agronomic management when it comes to organic farming. So obviously, in organic farming, we're not allowed to spray herbicides uh, or any other sort of pesticide. Uh, we cannot use uh, GMO modified seeds. Um, or we cannot use um, our regular NPK fertilizers. So um, we have talks uh, by UNL professors that are addressing wheat management in organic farming systems, that are addressing nutrient management in organic farming systems. We will also hear a lot from organic farmers who are talking about their uh, personal experiences and the transition process, and also um, some farmers who are experimenting with things like no-till in organics. Seems like there's been a, a growing push of interest in this when it comes to the farmer level, but at the federal level, there's quite a push from the U.S. Department of Agriculture to educate producers about this option, isn't there? That's correct. So uh, for the last 10, 20 years or so, uh, the organic uh, food segment has been steadily growing. It's one of the fastest growing segments, um, but organic production in the U.S. has not really kept up the pace, so we can currently we cannot meet the demand for organic food. So we have to uh, import organic food from elsewhere. So um, that's why uh, in the last couple of years there's been a push by USDA, so they have uh, this organic um, initiative, and as part of that they're partnering with organizations across the U.S. Um, to team up and become partners and, and helping farmers in the transition process. So UNL is one partner here in Nebraska, and we're very excited about that. Tatcha, I have to be careful when I say this, but you and your colleagues are great. I imagine, though, when it comes to farmers interested in this, they want to hear from fellow farmers who have gone through that. Are you going to have some, some folks there who can speak to their personal examples? Yes, we are. So, and that's uh, why we have a farmer panel with several organic producers from Nebraska that are coming in and talking about what it means, you know, kind of the boots on the ground perspective. Um, as I mentioned earlier, some of our producers are, or some of our speakers are also farmers. Um, we're also hoping to really have a good discussion at the end of this conference with people. You know, we're we are hoping that this not only, uh, you know, um, transmits knowledge, um, but we're also hoping to use it as a as a way to build community among farmers. The event is happening November 8th, Eastern Nebraska Research and Extension Center. You're asking people to go and, and let you know they're going to come, though. What, when do they need to do so by, and what's the uh, best way to do so? Yeah, we are asking people to register online, uh, preferably by November 5th. So it is a free conference. Everybody is welcome to attend. Um, it includes a free lunch. We're excited because the lunch uh, includes some local organic foods. So, yeah. I'll give you the final word when it comes to organic farming in this topic area. What else do you want to share with our viewers today? I think organic farming is, as you know, as I mentioned earlier, it's a, it's a growing, uh, it's a really growing trend. Um, it provides a lot of opportunities for farmers. So even if you're not currently in the process of certifying or transitioning to organic farming, our conference is something for everyone. More information can be found along with this story. You can find that over on the Market Journal webpage. Well, that's going to do it for this week's edition of Market Journal. We hope to see you back here next time. But until then, I'm Bryce Duskit, wishing you a safe and productive week. Join Market Journal online at marketjournal.unl.edu. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.
Promotional support is provided by the Nebraska Farmer Magazine. Market Journal is produced by the University of Nebraska-Lincoln's Institute of Agriculture and Natural Resources.